Chapter Four of Prophets, Priests, and Kings by Alfred George Gardiner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. John Singer Sargent. It is a perilous thing for contemporary criticism to express itself in ultimate terms. Jeffrey's "This will never do" stands as an historic reproof to cocksureness. Who knows anything of Bononcini today? Yet Byron reflected contemporary opinion when he linked him with Handel in that jingle which has passed into the nursery. Strange that such difference should be twixt Tweedledum and Tweedledee. These things and history is strewn with similar examples should put a salutary restraint alike upon our appreciations and our depreciations we should remember posterity which does the winnowing itself and sets our judgment remorselessly aside who knows but that it may say that mr yeats wore the mantle of blake and that mr hall kane had a juster view of himself than you or i had when therefore we say that we have lost the breed of great men let us do so with reserve and when we point to john singer sargent as an exception that proves the rule let us add a rider to placate posterity let us agree with mrs meinel that he is the sole heir of velasquez but let us qualify heir to his technical genius but not heir to the nobility of his spirit there was probably never a painter who held a more undisputed position in the art of his own day than mr sargent holds titian's supremacy was challenged by veronese and tintoret rubens and rembrandt ran their course together one living among princes and the other and greater dying in a garret velasquez was their contemporary and in a sense the rival of rubens reynolds and gainsborough divided the crown Turner, it is true, towered above his contemporaries in lonely splendor, but his greatness was never undisputed in his own day. Mr. Sargent has the field to himself. The Royal Academy has become a sort of background to his dazzling achievements. We hurry through the quadrangle with one thought in our minds. What has Sargent to show us? A few years ago a second question was just emerging. What has first to show us? but that fine chivalrous spirit vanished in the first pride of the morning and the only possible challenge to sargent vanished with him it was the challenge of a nobler and simpler spirit it was as though hendel had come to dispute the palm with strauss or gallant gainsborough to bring back the old happy english feeling into art mr sargent does not appeal to us spiritually he does not belong to us he has the modern note of cosmopolitanism, a thing almost as unattractive as the word that expresses it. He reflects a world that has lost the sense of nationality and does not know the meaning of home, a world that lives in capitals and flits from one palatial hotel to another. "'Damn the fellow, how various he is,' said Reynolds of Gainsborough. But in all his variety he spoke of England, English lanes and English folk and English thought, just as Rembrandt translated even the gospel story into Dutch terms, and Velasquez breathed the spirit of Spain into every stroke of his brush. Mr. Sargent is various too, but it is a variousness that has no root either in himself or in us. He is a nomad. 
the son of american parents born in florence trained in paris living in london a citizen of the united states speaking italian french german spanish almost as fluently as he speaks english painting jews for business and hot southern scenes for pleasure he knows nothing of geographical or racial boundaries having all the earth as his artistic inheritance he has no foot of ground that is peculiarly his own nor is his art anchored in any abiding human purpose millet and watts were technically as unattached to any given soil as he is but they were each governed by a purpose greater than their art a purpose of which their art was only the instrument they were prophets who chose as it were by accident the medium of the brush instead of the pen so with velasquez and rembrandt their appeal is primarily to the heart and after that to the aesthetic sense velasquez it is true tells us little of himself he has the aloofness of shakespeare he reveals as the sun reveals impartially unemotionally voraciously he does not vitiate the statement of absolute truth by comment of his own it is true that the essential nobility of his soul pervades all he does that in the grave cool world he sees with so serene a vision even the clowns and the dwarfs are gentlemen there is nothing mean nothing for scorn his water-carrier painted when he was nineteen has the dignity which is older than courts the dignity which belongs to nature and the sorrows of the earth he sees the cunning that lurks behind the feline gaze of innocent the tenth and puts it down with unerring truth but he adds no note of his own he does not criticize he states he had as mr clausen has said the surest eye and the truest hand of any artist that ever lived he had also with the possible exception of durier the most truthful mind there is truth also in rembrandt but it is the truth not so much of objective vision as of subjective emotion he is the painter of his own soul the most intense the most personal of dramatists we admire velasquez as we admire shakespeare for his all-comprehending vision but we love rembrandt as we love those who have taken us into the inner sanctuary of themselves or as desdemona loved otello for the perils he had passed in short the enduring hold of velasquez and rembrandt upon the world is less through their technical genius than through their human sympathies in each case the artist was less than the man now mr sargent is the artist sans phrase the most accomplished artist of our time one of the most accomplished artists of all time he is an artist like rubens rejoicing in his incomparable dexterity he has a hand light as a cloud a touch swift as the lightning his pictures affect you like a melody that's sweetly played in tune he is the virtuoso in love with his instrument delighting in the effects he can extract from it careless of everything except his astonishing art sometimes as in the mountain of moab the more intimate of the portraits and his great decorations at boston there are hints of something that goes deeper but in general he takes his subject as a theme not as beethoven took it to sound the deeps but as liszt took it for rhetorical display the analogy of music is inevitable in speaking of him for his art has the mobility and rhythm of the orchestra he fulfils the injunction of sir toby belch thou shouldst go to church in a galliard and come home in a coranto thy very walk should be a jig 
Mac Beerbohm's caricature of him expresses the essential spirit of his work. He is seen leaping at his canvas with a brush in either hand, while the fiddlers in the foreground scrape a tempestuous accompaniment. Nor is the analogy merely intellectual. Music is among the many accomplishments of this versatile man, as it was of that other admirable Crichton, Lord Leighton. His recreation is the piano, and there are few more constant figures at the opera than his. His facility of execution is astonishing. He has this quality in common with Gainsborough and Halls, that he seems to see the vision as a whole and to transmit it to the canvas with all its instancy and freshness and momentary delight take the incomparable portrait of lord ribblesdale or that audacious rendering of the mrs verdimer they are seen with the instancy of the camera and rendered with the pulse of light that the camera cannot give it is as if the vision and the accomplishment were one action partly this is due to his enormous capacity for sustained labor he can paint a portrait at a sitting and he can work on a canvas for six hours without loss of his wonderful vivacity and energy of mind but this facility is rooted in the capacity for taking infinite pains i am told that in the case of that dramatic ave le gonfie he went over most of the canvas twenty separate times though the swift untroubled brushstrokes left no sense of labor but rather of a careless improvisation one remembers the historic reply of whistler and do i understand mr whistler that you ask two hundred pounds for knocking off this this little thing no i ask two hundred pounds for the experience of a lifetime there is the experience of a lifetime in those broad confident sweeps of sergeant's brush that is what is overlooked by his imitators who copy his methods without his knowledge and achieve only that flashing cleverness that is the most desolating thing in art nor is his intellectual insight less remarkable than his technical dexterity he seizes his subject and all its qualities body mind and spirit and communicates the result pleasant or unpleasant he is indifferent in one startling unity so that it is as if you knew these people the tones of their voice the quality of their thought their origins and their career it would not i think be difficult to write a character sketch of the wertheimers simply by studying sergeant's portraits take as an example of this faculty of reflecting the spirit in externals the portrait of president roosevelt with its sense of power cunningly realized by such devices as the outstretched right hand muscular and exaggerated that grasped the support as if it were the great globe itself that he held in his iron grip there is a legend that a doctor puzzled by a certain case found the secret that he could not diagnose in the patient himself revealed in a portrait of the patient by sergeant true or untrue it is not difficult to believe so searching is his vision this swift instinct for the individual note in character coupled with his rapidity of work is illustrated by his portrait of mr pulitzer the famous new york journalist had been to his studio several times and his picture was approaching completion but one day on arriving at mr sargent's door he found awaiting him on the pavement a certain peer who had sought some favor which he was not disposed to give i cannot say i am due in the studio he said the other thereupon coolly proposed to accompany him 
Mr. Pulitzer blazed with wrath at the suggested intrusion, and when he entered the studio his face was still transfigured with passion. "'That's what I want,' said the painter, as he saw the face of the real man at last, and turning to the canvas he obliterated the previous work, and with swift energy and broad strokes put down in one brief sitting that brilliant impression of Mr. Pulitzer, which is now in New York.' He is, more than any great portraitist on record, a satirist. Velasquez painted mean people and made them great. He painted great people and sometimes made them ignoble. But he never expressed his own contempt, for he had none. Mr. Sargent's palate has usually a little acid in it. The note of scorn is subtle but indisputable. Mr. Dooley expressed a truth with his delightful extravagance when he told how Mr. Higby of Chicago got his portrait painted by Sargent. Number 108 shows Sargent at his best. There is the same marvelous technique that the great master displayed in his celebrated take-off on Mrs. Blank in last year's gallery. The skill and ease with which the painter has made a monkey of his victim are beyond praise. Sargent has torn a sordid heart out of his wicked crater and exposed it to the world. The wicked, ugly little eyes, the crooked nose, the huge grasping hands tell the story of this miscreant's character as completely as if they were written in so many words, while the artist, with wonderful malice, has painted onto the face a smile of sickening self-complacency that is positively disgusting. No artist of our day has succeeded so well in showing up the mainness of the people he has mugged. We understand that the atrocious Higby paid one hundred thousand dollars for this comic valentine. It's worth the money to everybody but him. It is in his portrait of children, and occasionally in those of old age, that we find the note of human sympathy which is generally wanting. Here sometimes the heart as well as the intellect is engaged there are few things more fresh and appealing than the boy children or little laura lister groys had no finer instinct for unsullied innocence but it is as the artist that sargent will live the man will remain obscure behind the achievement that astonishes and delights the mind but leaves the sympathies cold his conception of the province of art is the antithesis of that of Burne jones to whom a picture was a spiritual stimulus a vision and an ideal lit by a light that never was on sea or land the consecration and the poet's dream it is not a view of life nor is it a revelation of self it has nothing to do with morals or emotions it is art for art's sake a thing self-contained and apart from the personal life of the artist it remains to be seen in his case as in whistler's how far that divorce is consistent with his inclusion by posterity among those whom it calls great two things are certain one is that if the technical mastery of the medium constitutes greatness john s sargent is among the immortals the other is that it is through his eyes that the future will see our time in its ornamental aspects just as today we see the eighteenth century through the eyes of gainsborough and reynolds the one person the future will not see will be mr sargent himself he will be forever inscrutable not a man but a technique. End of chapter 4